So again, we are just looking at one verse this morning together, church. One verse, Galatians 2.20. And the reason for this isn't just because it's such a beautiful verse, although it is, but it's also because although that might have been a little confusing, some of those things in there at first, this verse does teach us a lot about us and about Jesus. And so it can be really helpful as we live our Christian lives to see what God has to say to us here as we try to follow and love Jesus more. And on that, though, before we even get into it, even as we begin, what I really encourage all of us here to think about as we approach a famous verse like this, a verse that we've probably heard before, is not just to try to understand it more, although that will hopefully happen, but also I encourage us at the beginning to see and really know that this verse is talking about a beautiful reality. A reality, not just a truth, but a reality. And here's what I mean by that. So this verse talks about Christ's life in me and my life in Christ. And, and some of that right away could just sound like maybe some mysterious religious idea. But right away, I, I hope we all realize that as simple as this might sound, that as this verse is talking about Christ and the Son of God and being crucified with Christ and Christ living in me, it really is talking about Jesus himself. And how he relates to each of us as his own. Or to say it really simply, the Christ in Galatians 2.20 here is the God-man, right? Who came 2,000 years ago, lived a perfect life, died, rose, and is coming back. And he lives in us. Now, I, I know that might sound confusing. Because you might wonder, how is it that he lives in me? And we will talk about that this morning. But for now, as we begin... I just hope that we all know that this, again, this verse is talking about reality in that real Jesus. And not only that, but it's even Jesus himself being God who inspired the Apostle Paul to talk this way about him living in us. And so really feeling that, even as we start, has a great potential to impact our faith and encourage our hearts. But that said, then, as we begin, um, just we're going to talk about how we go through this verse together, and we're just going to have two sections this morning, two sections, because as you can see, Galatians 2.20 can really be split into two different halves. And so for each one of those sections and halves, we're just going to have one overarching question. And the first question for the first half, we're just going to ask, what does it mean for me that I've been crucified with Christ and that I don't live anymore, but Christ lives in me? That's simple. What does it mean for me? Because that is confusing. So that'll be our first section, our first question. But then second, concerning the second half, we'll then follow that up by asking, and if Christ really lives in me, then what does that look like? So those are two questions. In summary, what does this mean for me, these confusing things that are said? And then second, if Jesus really lives in me, then what does that look like? So to start, we'll focus on that first half of the verse, and this is the more confusing half. And this is why we're simply asking the question, what does this mean for me? So now let's read the first half of verse 20. So look down in your Bibles, Galatians 2, the first half of verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'll stop there. So as you can see, there's two sentences there, two parts here, and they kind of follow simple logic because first... The idea is, I've been crucified with Christ. And then second, logically following that, is the simple idea that I no longer live. Meaning, I've died on the cross, apparently, and so I no longer live. And logically, that's 
pretty simple. So that's what the Bible says, but now concerning what that actually means, let's take those one at a time. So to begin, let's focus on what it means that I have been crucified with Christ. Because the question is, why would Paul say that? Why use that language? And to start to understand why, let's think about that word crucified, right, and what it signified. Because for the early Christians especially, this word crucified would have signified at least two things. Two things. First, right, it would have been a word that they knew was talking about an awful, serious way to die. And this is something that we don't emphasize as much when we hear this word. But for people back then, remember, crucifixions actually happened, (laughs) And so right away, this would ring in their heads, this idea that this is a really serious death. Like like us hearing the word electric chair, but much worse, because crucifixion was a much nastier way to die. And so that's the first thing it would have signified for them. But then second, when the early Christians heard this word, it would have, of course, not just brought up this idea of a way to die, but specifically they and, and we would have thought about the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth, right, the Son of God. And so I know that sounds simple, but that's what this word crucified, crucifixion is about. It's a serious way to die, and it's a death that reminds us, that associates us with the death of Christ. And you can see this, for example, in a couple other places that Paul talks about being crucified, even in Galatians. For example, coming up in Galatians 5.24, Paul says, quote, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so it's a serious death, a death to our flesh here, and it's for those who belong to Christ Jesus. The same is true in Galatians 6, 14, where Paul famously says, quote, But far be it for me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. And so again, crucifixion, a serious death, here a death to the world, and it's associated with Christ's cross and death. And so that's what crucifixion signified. But now before we go and see that in Galatians 2.20, there's actually one more thing. Amazingly, that this word crucified also came to signify for the early Christians. And it's something that Paul actually brings up almost every time he talks about being crucified. And that's how crucifixion came to signify dying with the result of new life. And this obviously came about because we as Christians know that after Jesus of Nazareth was crucified, he was raised from the dead. But this aspect of crucifixion also then applies to us. And whenever we're said to be crucified. For example, right after Paul talks about crucifying the flesh in Galatians 5.24 and 5.25, the next verse he talks about how we live by the Spirit. So life. The same is true for when we're crucified to the world in 614, because in 615, he talks about how then we're a new creation. So crucifixion, then life. Which all then brings us back to Galatians 2.20 here in this, I have been crucified with Christ. So that's why Paul uses this word crucified. It's because it's a serious death to something. It's associated with Christ's death, and it brings new life. That's what we see here. We're crucified with Christ so that he can live in us. And yet all that said, still we may wonder, but what does it mean? (laughs) Why does he say, I have been crucified with Christ? And to answer that, with all that seen now, think about 
who or what is seriously dying here in this verse. And it's interesting because as we just heard in Galatians 5, it was the flesh being crucified and dying. In Galatians 6, it was us being crucified and dying to the world. But here in Galatians 2.20, what is dying? I. (laughs) That's simple. I died. I have been crucified with Christ. And in a way, that's then where this verse gets confusing. But it's also where this verse is really insightful and helpful. Because what does that mean? What does it mean that I have been crucified? What does it represent? Or to say it another way, who were you and I as Christians that died on that cross with Christ? Well, the answer, I think, from here in Galatians and throughout the New Testament is that our old selves were so stained with sin and so bent against God and his ways that really what Christianity is all about is that at that cross, of Jesus Christ in history, it's not just that we were forgiven of our sins, although that's true. Nor is it just that that through that we now have a relationship with God, although that's beautiful and true as well. Instead, even more so, what this I have been crucified with Christ shows us is the reality that we, in all of our sinful, non-saved states, were once so different, so about us, in our egos, in our ways, and not God, that in a real way, that person was a different person. It was an old I. And this means that what really happened on the cross is that as Jesus was taking my sins and my awful selfishness and ungodliness, which all defined me so much, he in a real way was taking that old me to the cross. I would say it the way Paul did. I really was crucified there with Christ. And now I know that might sound confusing or extreme, but when you think about it and how we often talk about what happened to us and what happens to others when they come to know Jesus, this actually makes a lot of sense. Because almost all Christians will acknowledge that perhaps the biggest testimony to the truthfulness of the gospel message that we believe in our own lives and in the lives of others isn't that we're just now people who know that we're forgiven. Nor is it just that we now know that we're going to heaven, although both of those are true. But instead, for thousands of years, One of the biggest testimonies to the reality of this gospel about Jesus has been that for those who know Christ by grace after coming to know him, they really amazingly are different. (laughs) They're not perfect, still sinners, but different. Different people, different eyes, different desires, different goals. And this verse then is simply teaching us how that happened. And yes, it happened because we have new life. But we can't rush past our old selves and just jump to the new life. Instead, also, before my new life, I was crucified with Christ. So I hope that makes sense. I hope you believe it. I have been crucified with Christ. When he took my sins, he didn't just take my sins. Instead, since my sins so defined me, He took me there. I was on the cross with him. That then leads us briefly to consider and hopefully understand more the next phrase. 
where Paul says, quote, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Because the reason we spend so much time on that I have been crucified part is because now I hope this often confusing I no longer live makes sense. Because if we read that without really stressing that we and our old sinful natures will nail to that cross, then this can just sound like vague religious talk, right? Because I do live, but it isn't meant to be vague. Instead, on this idea of I no longer live, right, really simply to understand it, just ask yourself, I mean, where's the last place in this verse that the word I was used? And it's simple. I have been crucified. And so, of course, it makes sense that I no longer live because the I here is that lost, sin-stained I, the I that Christ took to the cross with him, the unforgiven I, the I-don't-know-God I. And so because of the cross, it's no longer that I who live. Or very simply, we can say, really, Jesus took my sins, and, and therefore I died with him on that cross, and so that I is no longer me anymore. Which finally leads us to the last part of this first half here. I'm crucified. I no longer live. But that's not all. Because amazingly then, after this crucifixion comes life. But not just any life. Specifically, I no longer live. But now, quote, it is Christ who lives in me. And now this is, this is really interesting because think logically of what Paul could have said here that maybe would have made more sense to us. Because logically, perhaps it would have made a lot more sense and been easier for us to understand if he just said, I no longer live my old life, but now I live a new life. Right? If he said that, that'd be true. And he kind of does talk like that elsewhere. That is true. But he doesn't say that here. And that's why Galatians 2.20 is so insightful because instead Paul gets here more specific on what our new life actually is. And what is it? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Really Jesus, right, living in me. Meaning my new life is Christ living in me. Now, on the one hand, let's be honest, this is a bit mysterious. <laughs> but this is what the New Testament, God's Word, teaches us over and over. It's what Paul clearly says here. It's what he says elsewhere, like when he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's even what Jesus himself, when he walked on this earth, he promised. When he said things to his disciples, like, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And technically, just so we know, as Jesus himself taught, we should know that this Christ in you means that Jesus is in us by his spirit. Because Jesus still is, I hope you know this, Jesus still is the resurrected God-man who raised from the dead and is waiting to come back. And so technically, Christ is in us means it's the spirit of Jesus being in me. Which shows us just really quickly that the Holy Spirit and Jesus are so connected. It does show us that if someone ever talks about the Holy Spirit, in a way where he doesn't sound very similar to Jesus, and it's probably not the Holy Spirit. And it does show us that the Trinity really isn't three different gods, but it's one God and three persons. So that's technically, technically how Jesus is in us. But still, knowing that, what we shouldn't do is then so over-theologize that and say, well, technically it's the Spirit of Jesus in us, 
We shouldn't do that in such a way that then we miss how Jesus himself and his apostles made it really clear that Jesus is really in us. He really is. And this means just to be crystal clear for us who know Jesus, for you and for me, it means that the same Jesus who came 2,000 years ago The same Jesus who did all those miracles, stopping those roaring seas, feeding 5,000 people, raising people from the dead. The same Jesus who delivered the Sermon on the Mount. The same Jesus who was crucified between those two robbers. The same Jesus who rose in history from the dead. The same Jesus that's going to come back through the clouds and make everything right again. He lives in you. In me. That's what he's saying to us here in his word which is amazing. Right, not only amazing, but it shows us, even in just one verse, even in just one half of a verse, it shows us how far we've brought us. Because remember, to begin this verse, the I that I was was so defined by sin that I needed to be crucified. But now, it's not just that I as a Christian now live a different life. Nor is it just that I'm changed. Instead, It's that my new I is Christ living in me. I share in the very life of Christ, as theologians like to say, or better yet, Christ is so close to me that he shares in, participates in, and even defines my life. He's that involved in me. And again, this this is so much so, he's so intimately close that we can and we should say what defines my living Above all, it's Christ. Right? This might make sense more of why Paul says elsewhere, to live is Christ. Jesus with me, Jesus in me, which honestly should blow us away. But that's in the first half here of verse 20. And I know that might be a lot, but I hope it makes sense because it really is so encouraging. Because remember, this isn't just a truth, this is reality. If you know Christ, your old, your old sin-defined self has been nailed to the cross and crucified, and it's as dead as Jesus was really dead. And now, Christ lives in you. And this means that whatever else is going on in your life, right, whatever, whatever else is bothering you, whatever else you're really struggling with, all of that should be seen through this lens. Right, the lens that you are totally changed and forgiven and that old self has been seriously killed and the lens that Jesus really lives in sinners like you and me. Because because really believing that and actively thinking that can change your life. It can change your life because, because each of us can think that our lives are defined by our sins and the things that we do, good or bad, or we can know that our sins that used to define us are totally dead. And we can know that now as we live our lives, it really isn't that much about us. And praise God for that, because living about me is tiring. Instead, our lives is now about Christ. About Christ who lives in me. That now brings us to the second half, though, verse 20. We'll spend a little less time here, because we focused on this more last week, if you were here. But overall, there's just going to be one overarching point that I hope we all see from the second half. And to see it as a, re- as a reminder, we're just asking one overarching question of the second half. And the question 
now is, okay, so my old self is dead and Christ really lives in me. That's what the Bible says. But, but what does that then look like? So that question in mind, let's now reread all of verse 20, but we'll focus on the second half. So look down at your Bibles, Galatians 2, 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so now you can see how the second half is building on that idea that Christ lives in me. Because notice, although Paul earlier did say, I no longer live, he ends that first half by saying that Christ lives in me. So there we are. And so what the second half is essentially addressing is, is kind of wondering, okay, well, what is that me? That new me that Christ lives in. And really it boils down to one overarching thing. One overarching thing. Trust. Trust. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by trust in the Son of God or faith. But we'll talk about, especially this morning, why I really think trust is the better word. But, but that in a nutshell is the main point I hope we all get from the second half. What does Christ looking in, living in me look like? Well, it looks like me living by trust. Meaning Jesus lives in me and what he produces in me is a trust in him. And that might not be what we would expect. Because think about it. If someone were to never hear of Christianity, right, never hear... Uh, of it, but they heard that we believed in this Jesus who was God, and then they heard that that perfect God lives in you. Or imagine someone who saw Jesus in the first century and saw all the miracles he did and all the love that he showed, and they heard that he lives in you. Think about it. What would they probably think it would look like for that God, for that Jesus to live in you and me? Well, perhaps they'd say that it'd probably look like you all of a sudden becoming perfect. Because right? the perfect God lives in you. Or perhaps they think that it would look like you all of a sudden being able to do all the miracles Jesus did because he lives in you. Or stuff like that because that would make a lot of sense. But then when you read the New Testament, what's amazing is that Christ is with us and he's in us and he does enable us to be people of love and action and holiness. And yet overall, over and over in the New Testament, what's the defining thing that the Christian life is about? Or, or better yet, what is it that Jesus himself, who lives in us, primarily does in us? He makes us people of faith, people of trust, people who rely on him. That's primarily it. Right? He does this, as Paul says there, while we're still in the flesh, meaning we're still mortal and sinful. And as Paul talks about the end of verse 20, as we talked about last week, part of what fuels this trust is really knowing and feeling that he loves me and he gave himself for me. And so both of those things are involved. But overall, again, what the New Testament teaches and the overarching thing that I hope we all get from the second half is that what Christ living in me mainly looks like is me trusting him. That's primarily it. Now, we may take that for granted because we probably know this, right? We probably know that the Christian life is one of faith and that we live by faith or by trust. But have you ever considered why this is? Because we know this is what the New Testament teaches, and yet when we think about it, Christ maybe 
could have primarily said in the New Testament that we're to be people primarily of not faith, but maybe of something like godliness or miracles or evangelism or influence or anything like that. And those things can result from trusting Jesus. And yet again, the New Testament is clear though. We're primarily people of faith, of trust. And so why is that? Well, it's because when we really consider, brothers and sisters, what trust is, I think this is so intentional of our God. What makes trust or faith so different from things like morality or miracles or evangelism or influence is that trust isn't about us. It's by definition about the one we're trusting in. Because think of it this way. If Paul wrote here, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by really striving now for my Lord. Or if he defined the Christian life elsewhere, instead of we walk by faith or trust, he said, you know, we walk now by laboring for the Lord or we walk by evangelizing a ton and being great people. Then what could have easily happened is we kind of envisioned God saving us so that we could then do things for him. But that's just not primarily it. Instead, our God saves us for a relational purpose meaning so that we as individuals could relate to him, not just do for him. And so, yes, he does want to use us, and he does. And yes, he, for his glory and for our good, he wants us to live holy lives, and he enables us to do that. And yes, we should spread the gospel. But why in your Bibles is living by faith emphasized, living by trust? Well, it's because in all we do as Christians, you know what our focus is to be on? Not on us, but on Christ. On Christ who lives in us. Again, to live is Christ. Our focus is to be on Him, looking to Him, relying on Him, trusting Him. And that's why I really do think that this isn't splitting hairs, but that translating this as I live by trust rather than I live by faith is much better. Because not only is trust the better translation of this Greek word pistuo here, but think about this. If in our modern English, we just say, I live by faith. We can subtly think that the Bible's telling us that we live by believing some truths. And I bet many of us do hear that when we've heard, I live by faith. We can think that the Bible is saying that our lives are defined by believing certain things to be true. Like certain things that you could write on a sheet of paper. And yet, while we do believe and and, and what we do believe is true is really important, like Jesus died for my sins and he rose again in history. While that's true and important, we should know that when the Bible and when Paul says, I live by trust, it isn't mainly talking about believing truths. We don't live by believing just things to be true. Instead, when the Bible says, I live by faith or trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, that word faith, trust, is a relational word. And if you hear anything this morning, I hope you hear this, because I live by faith or by trust isn't saying I now believe some truths. Instead, it's saying that my life now is defined by how I love and trust the Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. I trust him in the gospel. I trust him in my life. And so again, if we say faith, you can see how we might miss that. 
Because we might think it's all about propositions that we believe, but in reality, our faith, our trust is mainly relying on a person. That's the Christian faith. Now, it includes knowing facts, and and these facts, or call it theology, really do help us a lot to love and trust him more. But in the end, trust, faith, is looking at Jesus, who's God, who created all things, who came, lived, died, rose, and is coming back one day and lives in you. It's looking at him and all his goodness and sovereignty and wisdom and closeness to you, and it's saying, I trust you, Jesus. That above all is the heartbeat of our lives. Or, to bring us back to the original question we're asking on the second section, that above all is what Jesus himself does in us as he lives in us. This trust, this trust where I rely on the one, Jesus Christ, who came, who loved me, and gave himself for me. And and yes, one last time, we don't want to, minimize that the Bible is very clear that then it's from that trust that Jesus leads us to fight sin, to love others, to spread the gospel. But brothers and sisters, the root of all of that is trust. It's trust in Jesus. What Jesus does in us is he makes us people who are all about him, who trust him. So that is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by trust, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so now as we conclude, we'll close with two final things, two final things. First, something to think about that might help us see the importance of all this. And then second, we'll, we'll f- fully finish with a way to make this more applicable to all of us. So first, as for something to just think about that might help us really see the importance of all of this, Briefly with me, just, just think about how we might look back on our short lives here on this earth when we're with Christ in glory. Or specifically, just for kicks, let's imagine 2,000 years from now. Those of us who know and love and trust Jesus Christ are with him in glory. And let's assume that we're looking back on our lives, which I think God will allow us to do in part. How will we look back on our lives? And the reason I want to think about this is because as, as I was studying this, I thought, I bet Galatians 2.20 is very similar to how we'll view our lives. And here's what I mean. Consider two things. First, I think that we'd all agree that looking back on this short life we're living from God's presence in the future, we'll probably look back and see how sinful we really were. How sinful we were. But, interestingly, on our sin, I don't think that that's mainly all we'll see. Instead, looking back and seeing how awfully sinful we really were will then mainly enable us to see with more beauty the cross of Christ. Or, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, all our awful sin will mainly enable us to see the truth, I have been crucified with Christ. Because here and now, we're so prone to think of sin as sort of a light thing because we're all sinners. And so we just sort of emphasize these these things like forgiveness, which is a totally good and biblical concept. But from glory, think about it. When we see how heinous and awful our sins actually are, do you know what we might see more clearly than we might see right now? Well, we'll see clear that that sin was so bad that it really used to define me. And we'll see that that sin so permeated my life 
that, it, that I needed to die. And we'll see that that's exactly what Jesus did for us. So that's the first thing that we'll probably see looking back from glory, more of our sin and more of the fact that we were crucified with Christ. But then second, I think we also have reason to believe that what we'll also see from glory is how God in some ways used us during this life, right? How God worked through us in our short time here for the sake of his glory. But on this as well, as he shows us that, I don't think the focus will mainly be on just what we did. Instead, in Christ's very presence, do you know what will also become crystal clear about all of our goodness and all of our good works? Well, I think we'll see more clearly than we see right now that it was always Christ in me. That it wasn't ultimately me. It couldn't have been ultimately me. Instead, we'll gladly realize that any good that we did in this life was ultimately Christ in us. And our main part was just trusting him and he will then get all the glory. And so I hope that helps us see more the importance of this verse. That finally leads us to close with a way to make this all more applicable. And on this, it's simple. So I heard about the gospel of Jesus and how he died for sinners and, and how he amazingly lives in sinners. But now, the way to make sure that this is truly applicable for you individually is now to make this personal. Make it personal. And I say that because maybe you noticed, but this whole verse is uniquely personal. Right? Paul usually writes with us or we or you, but here he, no, he writes a lot with I. Did you notice how many times I or me is in this verse? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And then finally, I live by trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so in this verse, the Bible, and therefore God himself, through these words, is pushing us all here this morning to really make this individually personal. Because as we said last week, it is really, I hope you know, it's so easy to hear things like this about Jesus and the gospel and to just brush it off. It's easy to sit there and think this is just about others or to think that this is just about ideas or this is just about truths that I need to believe. But brothers and sisters, this is to be personal. This is about you, about me, about Christ's cross for you, for me, about his living in you and in me. And amazingly, it's about how he did all that because he loves you because he loves me. And so, so if you are here, and after hearing all this, you still don't know Jesus, I just encourage you yourself to make this personal this morning by really trusting in this Jesus. Because I hope, I hope you now know that this Christian faith isn't just a religion, nor is it about being good, Right? No, nor is it about holding to just some facts or ideas to believe in your head. Instead, the Christian faith, right? the Christian trust, truly is about a relationship. It's, it's about this Jesus who came, who is God, who knows and loves individual people, who died for individual people, who really lives in individual people, who's coming back for his individual people. And, and so if you, if you don't know him, individually, personally come to him this morning because his arms are wide open for anyone who comes to him in faith, meaning trusts him. And if that is you, 
please come find me after the service. I'd love to talk to you more about this. We can pray together, just talk together. Because above all, what's the most important part of this text and in, in our lives is that we genuinely know this Jesus. And then finally, for those of us here who do, though, know tr- Christ and trust Jesus, I just pray now that as we soon leave here, we take all this to heart. And again, that we realize that Galatians 2.20 is talking about reality. Because one last time, what our God tells us here this morning through his word is that if you trust in Jesus in the gospel, then personally, your old sins and your old self were really crucified to that cross. And now Jesus lives in you and he loves you. And so that being the case, church, let's not just be people of faith who believe facts, but let's be people who really daily love rely on, and trust Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.